0: Well, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Once a pastor, he started his sermon with a line that he hoped would grab his congregation's attention. He said, some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. Well, it worked. I mean, the congregation gasped. Everyone was shocked. And then he added, of course, that other woman was my mother. Well, there was a Bible college student there that day. And he thought to himself, wow, what a catchy introduction you know, to a sermon. And he vowed to use that in the first sermon that he might preach. When that day finally arrived, he intended to follow through, but he was so nervous, his knees were knocking. I mean, he was scared to death. He spoke, some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. But that's when he got stage fright, and he kind of froze up, and he lost his train of thought. Finally, just kind of mumbled out, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. (laughs) Well, I suppose we all could say I've spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of my mom. Today is Mother's Day, and I want to thank all of our moms for the love and the nurturing and the training and the nursing and the discipline that you have provided to your kids. I hope today that I can bring you some encouragement. For moms today need all the help that they can get. They need someone who understands the demands that they face and can lend some help and can provide some support. And I'm not talking about a nanny or even grandma or a maid or a caring friend or even a helpful husband. All that would be nice. No mom would turn it down. But even if a mom had that help, it wouldn't be enough. For every mother needs help from the person that Jesus called the helper, the comforter, the one that Jesus said would take up where he had left off. The title of today's message is, Why Moms Need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Certainly, being a mom is a tough job. She's on duty 24-7, 365 days a year. There are no vacation. No sick days, no comp time for mom, no lunch hours or coffee breaks. I mean, a mom is saddled with constant concern. She's always on the clock. Her shift is never over. Her days are long, and her demands, the demands on her are relentless. It's been said, there is nothing easy about good mothering. It can be back-breaking, heart-wrenching, and anxiety-producing, and that's just the morning. And even a job well done, after a job well done, a mother doesn't always get the appreciation she deserves. I mean, there are days when being a mother is a truly thankless job. Reminds me of the speaker at the women's conference. She spoke on Proverbs, the Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of excellence. And she quoted that verse, Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. One tired, exasperated young mother turned to a friend and confessed, So far, my children just rise up and call me. Being a mom is an exhausting job. Here's one woman's confession. This mother entitled her thoughts, I want to be a bear. Bears get to hibernate. You do nothing for six months but sleep. I could deal with that. Before you hibernate, you're supposed to eat yourself silly. I could deal with that too. <clears throat> if you're a bear, your children are born the size of a walnut. And you birth them while you're sleeping. You awake to partially grown, cute, cuddly cubs. I could definitely deal with that. (laughs) If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat anyone who bothers your cubs. If your cubs get out of line, you swat them too. I could (laughs) deal with that. If you're a mama bear, your mate expects you to wake up growling. He also expects that you'll have hairy legs and excess body fat. Yep, I'd like to be a bear. (laughs) Apparently, human mamas have a tougher job than even mama bears. Moms definitely need help, but they need the right kind of help. Well, they need a heavenly brand of assistance. You see, every mom needs the Holy Spirit. And it may surprise you, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what a mother needs. One of the idioms used in the scripture of the Holy Spirit is that of a dove. The baptism of Jesus, the Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove. But this wasn't the first time that God used this idiom for the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, At the beginning of the creation, the Holy Spirit is said to be brooding over the waters. The image is of a mother bird hovering over her chicks. The gentleness of a dove speaks of motherhood. And many of the biblical idioms mentioned of the Holy Spirit relate to mothering and childbearing. For example, in John chapter 3, it's through the Spirit that we experience a new birth. Hebrews 5 talks about believers receiving the milk of God's Word. In Galatians 4, verse 19, compares the concern for others that the Holy Spirit brings to our hearts with an expectant mother's labor pains. Now, please, don't misunderstand my point. God is a he, never a she. Whenever God speaks of himself in the Bible, he does so in masculine terms. He is God the Father and God the Son. He's Israel's husband. He's the bridegroom of the church. The Bible refers to God with these personal pronouns, he and him and his. God reveals himself to us in the role of male to illustrate his interactions with his people. God is to us as a husband is to his wife. Like a male, God plants his seed, the seed of his word in our hearts. And like the female, we receive it and nurture it and then bear fruit to God. This is why these gender-neutral translations of the Bible are so dangerous. It's the combination of political correctness and poor translation. It poses a serious threat to sound doctrine. To pray our parent who is in heaven rather than our father? Or to call Jesus child of God rather than son of God? This strips the Bible of vital meaning that the roles of male and female were created to convey. God speaks to us through gender. It's how he's chosen to reveal himself. And this is why the Holy Spirit is a he and not a she. But having said that, the Holy Spirit shows us the tender and compassionate and sensitive and comforting and motherly side of our father's nature. Genesis 1 verse 27 says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Notice, male and female are made in God's image. The man's maleness or strength and the woman's femaleness or sensitivity are together reflections of the image of Almighty God. You could put it this way. God is a father, but a father with a mother's heart. He's both tough and... And tender. One of my favorite passages is in Isaiah chapter 49. In verse 15, the Lord assures Israel Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. I mean, God illustrates his feelings towards Israel with the metaphor of a nursing mom's concern for her son. I mean, her own body forces her to think constantly about her child. While she nurses, her breasts fill with milk in preparation for the child's next meal. She gets so full she can leak. It's impossible for her to forget her baby. But according to Isaiah, a nursing mother would sooner forget her child than God would neglect one of his kids. God is always thinking about his kids, even you. Isaiah is saying that God is a father, but with a mother's heart. In fact, you could call God the perfect single parent. He combines the strength of a father and the sensitivity of a mother. And wasn't this the heart of Jesus? In Matthew 23, he spoke of his compassion toward Israel in maternal terms. He said, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus yearns for his people like a mother hen, loving and warming and protecting her chicks. When Jesus said that, the Holy Spirit would be another helper just like him. I'm sure he was thinking of the tenderness that he shared with the Holy Spirit. God is a he, but his spirit loves us like a mom. A.B. Simpson once wrote, Human fatherhood expresses a need which is met in God the Father. Human brotherhood and the closer fellowship of husband and bride are met in Christ, the Son of God. But human motherhood has its origin in the Holy Spirit. And thus the Holy Spirit understands a mother's needs. God reveals himself in the masculine gender, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly how mothers feel. He emphasizes with their concern for their children. He shares their heart. I believe that a mom's heart comes from the Holy Spirit. A mother's love is a reflection of God's image. Every mother needs some help. But in addition to the good books you have on parenting and grandma's wisdom and the advice of your friends, hey, I hope you realize that every mother needs to learn to trust in and depend on God, the Holy Spirit. Here in John chapter 20, Jesus took a deep breath, and he breathed on his disciples. In essence, he imparted to them something of himself. He took from deep within, and he gave it to his men. In verse 22, we're told that he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit that indwelled Jesus took up residence in his 12 disciples. And that was just part of the message. For Jesus goes on to say, And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now let me give you a broad definition of what Jesus is doing here, and then I'm going to return and I'm going to explain this in specific terms. And surprisingly, it relates to moms. Jesus is assigning to his twelve disciples A parenting function in the early church. He called the original apostles to mother the infant church. And who better to help them in this task, in this mothering role, than the Holy Spirit? That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. The Holy Spirit was given to mother the church. Now certainly, whatever verse 23 means, it speaks of special authority. The disciples here gained some heavy clout. This was what the Jews called binding and loosing. Earlier in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, Jesus bestowed on his disciples the same authority. He put it to them this way. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing were technical terms used by the leaders of Judaism. They were rabbinical terms. To bind meant to prohibit, and to loose meant to approve. Thus, binding and loosing was the authority to either raise the bar or lower the bar. Raise a standard, lower a standard. Make a rule, binding, lift a rule, loosing. Here it includes the authority to extend forgiveness or to retain forgiveness. This authority was needed to lead the early church. Binding and loosing was the basis that enabled the twelve disciples to establish a common faith and practice for the Christian church. You remember, in the early days of Christianity, there were a lot of perplexing issues that had to be worked out. What about the relationship between law and grace? How do you keep unity between Jews and Gentiles? What about the times and the manner of worship How would communion and baptism be carried out? And what did a person have to do to be assured that God had forgiven them of their sins? I mean, the Bible talks about repent and believe. But what does that really look like? You see, the original disciples, with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, received the authority to answer these questions for the early church and to keep it on track. And it's interesting The same questions and quandaries that the early church faced are the same challenges that a parent, especially a mom, has to figure out for her kids. Here's some of the issues that a good mom will face. How do I establish standards of behavior for my kids, yet still show them the love I have for them? It's the same question the disciples ask, how does grace and works interact? How do I teach my kids to get along with people different from them? Hey, when Jews and Gentiles first came together in Christ, this too was the pressing issue. What about daily routines and family traditions? This is what God's family also had to hammer out. How did those old traditions of Judaism now relate to their new faith in Christ? And when a child disobeys, how and when as a parent do I extend to them forgiveness? The 12 disciples had to settle the same matter in the life of the new church. Jesus gave his disciples the authority to bind and to loose, but their ability to do so came from the Holy Spirit. And for a mom to raise her family biblically, she too needs the wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit. Like the disciples, a mother... She has to be entrusted by God. She's been entrusted by God with this awesome responsibility. I mean, she represents Jesus. She helps them walk in a relationship with him. And that's why, to do so, she needs the Holy Spirit. When my kids were school age, we liked to go to the water park at Lake Lanier. Any of you guys ever been up to the water park there? A lot of fun. Kathy would lead us all down to the beach, and she'd found a place to plop down and drop off all our stuff. But at that point, the kids, they would turn and they would look at their parents with eager anticipation. They were ready to play, man. But first, they needed parameters. They needed boundaries, and they knew it. My kids knew to obey their parents. And at home, they knew what that looked like. In an unfamiliar environment like the water park, they needed us to sort of lay out those boundaries so that they would know how to obey. And so mom would start binding and loosing. Zach, you can ride this and you can go over there, but you need to stay away from that lake. And Nat, that's okay, but this is off limits. Don't you leave this area. Nick, get a mat and go to the top of the slide, but don't you slide down until me or dad gets up there. And Mac, don't you leave this beach without one of us. And instantly, instantly, my four kids would know what obedience looked like in that situation. This is the job of a parent. When the kids are younger, you tighten it up. You tighten up the rope a bit. You're more binding. When the kids get older, you loosen things up a bit. You see, when it comes to kids, one size doesn't fit all. What's appropriate for one child at one age and in one environment may not be appropriate two years later and in a different situation. Enjoying our day at the beach required Kathy to do some binding and some loosing. And this is the fine art of being a parent. You see, if all decisions in life were clear-cut, parents wouldn't be needed. I mean, just give the kid a Bible and teach him to read. Life would be as easy as following a script. But life is often complicated. It's not clear-cut. A child needs help applying the scriptures, discerning right from wrong. And that's when where a parent comes in. A mom is always somewhere in the process of either letting out some rope, And giving her kids opportunity to learn or she's pulling that rope back in and tightening the screws and binding that child to a stricter discipline. This is why being a parent requires great sensitivity. I told you, you'd have to bear with me today. If a mother never gives her child any freedom and shelters him from making mistakes, that child isn't going to learn vital lessons. But if you don't know when to reel a child back in when freedom's been misused, you'll doom that child to a lifetime of repeated mistakes. You got to know when to turn loose, and you got to know when to hold back. As Kenny Rogers used to sing, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Which had to do with gambling, by the way, not parenting. (laughs) But sometimes the two pastimes are not that far apart. I've discovered that. Moms have to know when to take a gamble with their child. Or maybe better put, when to trust that child with decision-making ability, even when it's still developing. That's gamble at times. You see, in the Old Testament, the questions facing Israel, they were easily answered. The nation lived under a set of laws. Their society was for Jews only. Exact times for worship were spelled out. Rituals were mandated. And everyone knew exactly when a person's sins were forgiven, they saw the sacrifice burning on the altar. God answered all his people's questions through a system of rules and rituals. Moses laid down the law. There was no need for sensitivity. There was no rigid adherence. There was all rigid adherence. There was no need for any kind of ambiguity or sensitivity. It was all there in black and white. No need for personal discernment. No need for individual sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Under the law, it was one size fits all. The only problem with the law is that it never produced loyal and loving kids. Think about it. Under the law of Moses, how many times did the children of Israel rebel against God? They did so over and over and over again. And this is what I find happens when a parent chooses to lay down the law. Force your child into a rigid set of rules and regulations without any sensitivity to their temperament and their maturity and their environment. And you're going to foster rebellion in the heart of that child. The kid might obey the rules for fear of being punished, but you haven't cultivated wisdom in that child and a love for God and a desire to please God. And as soon as he tastes a little bit of freedom, gets out from under mama's apron, gets a car, goes to college, he's going to throw the rules to the wind and do as he pleases. Mom, this is why God calls you to mother, not smother your child. And to do this, it's hard. This is why you need the sensitivity and the wisdom and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, when God started over in the New Testament, instead of laying down the law, Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Rather than rules and rituals, God blessed the church with a new relationship. He put his spirit within us, and in doing so, he put his nature in our hearts. No longer are God's people governed by laws and liturgies. From now on, we're led by a person, by the Holy Spirit. You see, the law smothers God's kids. Under the law, we don't react well. We buck and kick and rebel, whereas the Holy Spirit mothers God's kids. He births in us something of himself, a desire to love God and to love others. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 is a wonderful passage. There Paul tells us where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Christians are free from the law to live in the spirit. Our God is like a mother. He interacts with us with a personal touch. He's sensitive to us in our development. He works in our situation. He acknowledges our maturity or lack of it in order to bring us to the next step. Don't think of Christian discipleship as a college lecture hall, stuffed with students, 500 or so. To the contrary, the Holy Spirit tutors us one by one, intimately and individually. Like a mom, the Holy Spirit takes us under His wing. Our faith is expressed by learning from Him and leaning on Him. Hey, this is the way that Christians grow spiritually. And this is why moms need the Holy Spirit. Mom, as you pour out your life into your child, the Holy Spirit will help you discern the needs and struggles and joys and hurts and questions and challenges that your child will undergo. The Spirit of God gives to a mom the exact prescription for what ails their child at every turn in their development. God speaks into a child's life through his mom. A mom assures her child of his love. She speaks truth and wisdom. She never gives up on her child. And her influence doesn't stop when the child leaves home. Oh, no. Adult kids are never far from the voice of their mom. And here in John 20, verse 23, in the upper room, the risen Lord Jesus gives to his disciples what I believe is a mom's most important responsibility, and I might add, her highest privilege. Think about this. On the cross, Jesus paid for man's forgiveness. But once that debt was paid, it was up to the disciples to go out and begin to dispense that forgiveness. But when and to whom? And after them doing what? You see, we say a person saved when they repent and believe. But what does that mean, repent and believe? What does that look like in practical terms? Jesus left the discernment up to the original disciples after he had breathed into them the Holy Spirit. That's why here in John 20, verse 23, Jesus authorizes the 12 disciples. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In other words, it was up to the disciples to give shape to our salvation. Do we just pray? What do we say? Well, the original 12 disciples sorted this out for the early church. Realize, nowhere in the Bible is any man given the authority to forgive sins. No, no. Not the priest in the confessional booth or even the pastor here in the altar. Not even the Pope. Forgiveness comes only from heaven. But in the process of witnessing to someone, Jesus gives us the responsibility of setting out the terms of their salvation and providing them some closure for their request. Based on that sinner's response, it's our job to let them know where they stand with God. I can provide them assurance or I can prevent a false sense of security. I've prayed with people and I've sensed their sincerity. I've led them in the prayer. And then afterwards, I've prayed, Lord, I thank you that my friend is now forgiven. He's done what you requested. His sins have been washed away, and now he has a home in heaven. Have you ever seen what that does for the person you're praying for? It gives them a sigh of relief. That person is assured that God's terms have been met for their salvation. Whereas on the flip side, I've looked on some hypocritical people, And I've seen that they weren't really sincere. And I've challenged them. I said, look, God is not going to forgive you until you repent and are truly willing to change. I retained their forgiveness as well. And this relates to moms. In fact, I believe this is the most important task that a mom performs in the life of their child. When that kid is a little tyke, and when he or she has done wrong and they know it, And they're sorry for their sin. Mom, don't you dare miss the opportunity to kneel beside your child. And lead them in a prayer for God's forgiveness. To me, this is a mom's most sacred time. And then, quickly, sweep them up in your arms and celebrate their new start. Rejoice that all is now forgotten. Assure them that they've been cleansed. Let them know that they're still loved and valued both by God and by their mom. Let me ask you. How can a child believe that God has forgiven him or her of their sins if that child's own mom has her doubts and hasn't expressed her acceptance? Earlier, I read to you Isaiah 49 verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. But the next verse is so provocative. Isaiah writes, and I love it. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know, sometimes we, we write a phone number we don't want to forget on our palm, don't we? Or we write down a person's name on the palm of our hand so we'll remember. And here God loves us so much that he says that he writes our name in the palm of his hands so they will never forget us. Isn't it interesting here in John 20, verse 20, that we're told Jesus showed them his hands? He showed them the scars in his hands. They were proof of his love. But I wonder if that's all they saw, just those scars. Isaiah says that God has inscribed you on the palms of his hands to assure them that they were forgiven. Could it be that they saw their names right next to those scars? Could it be? I'm certain of this. Those disciples left the upper room that day knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that their sins had been forgiven and that they were accepted by God. Jesus assured his disciples of their forgiveness. And now he gives that same responsibility to you and me. Mom, when your kids sin, it's your job to help them find God's forgiveness. A mom tucks that little one in bed at night. She helps them with their homework. She fixes their meals. She kisses their boo-boos when they skin their knees. But nothing a mom does for her child is more vital than to help that child know a right relationship with God. And this continues as the child grows older. In fact, mom, you need to be honest with your child. When that young tyke hits the teenage years or they become a young adult, and they get rebellious and defiant, don't you let that child off the hook. Mom, you need to exercise some tough love. If you don't see genuine repentance, if they haven't accepted responsibility for their sin, if your child has no desire and willingness to change, then their guilt needs to be retained. Don't you be a mamby-pamby mom. Don't be a pushover. Don't let your kid get away with bloody murder and then defend him when he's obviously guilty. That's not loving your child. That's doing him or her a disservice. Love forgives. But it also makes the child pay for the window they carelessly broke. Real love forgives, but only after the child goes next door and apologizes. Real love retains a person's sins on earth until he's done what was asked by God in heaven. Real love makes a child stand up and take some responsibility. I'll never forget the day that Becky came and knocked on our back door and told my mom that Sandy had hit her with his fist. She didn't say anything about how she deserved it. But that didn't matter to my mom anyway. For there was no excuse, never an excuse. You don't hit girls, and I'll never forget it. Mom made me stand there on that back porch with my hands behind my back, and she let Becky haul off, and she slapped me across the face just as hard as she could. 45 years later, it still (laughs) stings. But I'll tell you, I've never hit a girl again Never. You see, I know a mother's love is unconditional. She never gives up on her kids. I can disappoint my mom and shame my mom and break my mom's heart, but I am certain I will never be able to stop my mom from loving me. But I've got a godly mom, and I'm just as certain that my mom's love will always acknowledge God's truth. Though she loves me, no matter what I do, I know she'll never agree with me or approve of a lifestyle if I choose to live it in blatant sin and embrace an obvious heresy. Reminds me of the story of Mel White. Mel was a talented author. He helped several famous evangelical pastors adapt their sermons into book form. When Mel came out of the closet and announced that he was a homosexual, a reporter stuck a microphone in the face of Mel's mom. And he asked her a question, sort of baited her. He said, ma'am, do you consider your son an abomination? Mrs. White, she replied, as only a mother can. She said, well, he may be an abomination, but he's still my pride and joy. She didn't deny his sin, but neither did she deny her son. And isn't that the Holy Spirit's attitude toward you and me? When we, as God's kids, sin and shame our Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit, He doesn't ignore it. He convicts us of that sin. He doesn't let us off the hook, but neither does He deny us as His kids. Romans 8 verse 16 tells us, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is the Holy Spirit's longing to deliver us to God as a mother hen gathers her stray chicks under her wings. Boy, at times it's tough to be a mom. Moms are a lot more at ease with comfort than they are with confrontation. But a Christian mom stands for both the grace and the truth of God. And that's why moms need the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that gives mom the strength of God and the wisdom of God and the courage of God as well as the love of God and mercy of God and everything else she needs to represent Jesus to her children. Let me close with a short essay by a man named Fred Cruz. He's entitled it, What is a Mother? Somewhere between the youthful energy of a teenager In the golden years of a woman's life, there lives a marvelous, loving person known as Mother. A Mother is a curious mixture of patience, kindness, understanding, discipline, industriousness, purity, love. She can be at one and the same time a love-lorn counselor to a heart-sick daughter and a head football coach to an athletic son. A mother can sew the tiniest stitch in the material for that dainty prom dress and is equally experienced in threading through the heaviest traffic in a minivan. A mother is the only creature on earth who can cry when she's happy, laugh when she's heartbroken, and work when she's feeling ill. A mother is a picture of helplessness when dad is near and a marvel of resourcefulness when he's not. A mother has the same angelic voice suitable for the celestial choir. And she sings the bronze bronze lullaby to her baby held tightly in her arms. Yet that same voice can dwarf the sound of an amplifier when she calls her boys in from the yard for supper. A mother has the fascinating ability to be almost everywhere at once and can somehow squeeze an enormous amount of living into an average day. A mother is old-fashioned to her teenager, just mom to her third grader, and mom to a little sister. Cruz ends his thoughts. But there is no greater thrill in life than to point to that wonderful woman and be able to say to the world, that's my mom. A good mother, she mothers her kids. She doesn't smother them. And that takes courage and wisdom. And sensitivity, that's why every mom needs the Holy Spirit. Mom, today, I'd like to invite you to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. I'd like to pray to our Lord Jesus to breathe on you and to impart to you a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You're needy, and He's willing. So why don't we pray?